This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that covers our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be back for another episode and great to be joined by our most frequent returning guest. He was our very first guest. Generous enough to give us uh, his time when we knew nothing. And he continues to give us his time when we still don't know that much. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know about that. (laughs) That's it, Ren. It's our absolute pleasure to welcome back for the last episode of 2021 before we get into our summer series, Andrew Brown. Welcome. Thanks, uh, Bryce. Morning, Rand. So for those who haven't uh, heard of Andrew before or have just joined Equity Mates for the very first time, welcome. Uh, Andrew is the Executive Director at E72, an NX-listed LIC, and as Redden said, a regular guest on Equity Mates. Now, as tradition has it, we always get Andrew in at the start of each year to uh, bring some bold predictions uh, along with ourselves. And in today's episode, we're going to be closing out the year by reviewing some of the bold predictions that we made, having a look at uh, why valuation still matters in the eyes of uh, Andrew, and then looking forward to 2022, wrapping it all up. So can't wait. Absolutely. Valuation still matters. You wouldn't think that's a controversial statement, but hey, we're in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) I think as we've moved through 2021, I think that's that's been proven, I think, quite clearly. And Mm. and, uh, as things are changing into 2022, I think you're going to see that that there's uh, more more of that as well. Yeah. Well, let's look back before we look forward, though. Uh, So at the start of the year, you came on and you shared some bold predictions Mm. with us. I did. Um, Absolutely. And uh, some Came off. Some didn't. That's right. So let's uh, let's go through so it. Let's five. go through. Yeah. yeah. What I, what I wanted to do is is to really take what I think are two overarching lessons out of uh, the bold predictions we made at the start of the year. And please remember before you uh, throw tomatoes at the uh, computer screen, you know, don't forget we did these on the, or they were broadcast on the 4th of February. Mm. Uh, And of course, I don't get the chance to change anything. Well, let's uh, also be clear, we we ask for bold predictions. Absolutely, (laughs) yes, um, indeed. 
the first overarching lesson is um, I, I've actually brought a book today, which is the sequel to Peter Lynch's original book, which is called um, One Up on Wall Street, which was published in, I think, 1991. Uh, and the sequel is called Beating the Street. And in many ways, it's, it's like some of the films where the sequel's actually better than the original, okay? And in my opinion, the sequel's better than the original here. Now, the reason for bringing the book, and there it is, <laughs> 1994, yellowing pages and everything. Okay, <laughs> towards the end of the book, it's got Peter's 25 golden rules, and I've used this golden rule so many times it's not funny, okay? okay? And it's golden rule number 19, okay? okay? Which is, quote, nobody can predict interest rates, the future direction of the economy, or the stock market. Dismiss all such forecasts and concentrate on what's actually happening to the companies in which you're invested. Okay? So when we do bold predictions at the start of the year, <laughs> please bear that in mind. That I can tell you the company's going to do X or Y, but you should know that some of the companies that you're looking at, the economy has no impact on whatsoever. Mm. Okay? Viruses may, but the economy may not. Okay? And I think you're going to see that's a really overarching lesson from looking back but also looking forward. Secondly, the other overarching lesson is with interest rates basically at zero still, it seems that valuation doesn't seem to have mattered until this year, okay? And everybody said, ah, oh, it's great business model, it's great business model, it's great business model. And all of a sudden, and you guys fabulously did it, um, I think less than a week ago, when you published a table of, you know, great business model companies like, you know, Zoom Communications most obviously, um, you know, where the stock, of course, has gone from 560 down to 200, call it, mm. okay? And there's a load of others uh, have absolutely fallen off the shelf in, in a big way, some because the business model is nowhere near as good as what people imagine. But, you know, in the case of Zoom, it's a pretty damn good business model, as I think we all know, but people are paying way too much for it. Yeah. And as interest rates go up, because they will, Okay, then valuation is going to matter more. So if you pay too much for this stuff, you, you're going to lose out. And in that vein, I think just one of the one one of the runs back, and, and Ren is trying to hide under the table because he's going red. <laughs> um, uh, if you go back and listen to the fourth of February, Ren chopped me off extremely brusquely. <laughs> really? That when, when, like when, I, when I when I mentioned an eight letter name called after. To pay, <laughs> and, and I mentioned that after pay was ludicrous, uh, and Ren basically said, "Well, going into that." <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, we were wrapping up the episode, and right. I didn't want you two to get going. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, the the, up, the upshot was at the time after pay was one hundred forty six dollars and seventy five cents, yep. and it's been taken over since, of course. Mm-hmm. And the stock at the time of speaking is about one hundred and six. Mm-hmm. Okay, which went, goes to show you that even with a takeover. Uh, and even with the business growing and losing ever more money, um, you know, then basically valuation did matter. And it's quite clearly mattered in the rest of that BNPL sector, as we know. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you own Zip at that time, you're underwater. And if you own Sezzle, you're positively <laughs> drowning. <laughs> if you so, want to hear yeah. some uh, yeah. uh, unfiltered thoughts on Sezzle, follow uh, Andrew on Twitter. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but I should just yeah. ask, with anyway. the afterpay thing, I don't want to get bogged down no. by now, pay later. But isn't a lot of that tied to the fact that Square is one of the businesses that has fallen Yeah, absolutely, off? Yeah, of course, yeah. you know, and Square, Square's fallen off. But it, it, even when Square was going okay, I mean, the full-blown takeover was no more than what we were 
talk, you know, yeah, yeah. the share price back in January. So there you go. Just to put some perspective on this, by the way, when we made the broadcast back in February, uh, the ASX 200 was 67.65. So the return from there is about 6% at the time of broadcast. And the Standard Poor's 500 was 38.71. So we're up about 18%. So one, I'm not sure if you just saw Bryce shaking his head, but he's on a real vein about how pathetic our index is compared hmm. to the US. <laughs> Why would you expect any more, Bryce, in 2021 for the simple reason, okay, so much of the index is four banks and three yeah, major exactly. resources. Yeah. We don't have giant and, tech yeah, companies. The four Boring. banks, I mean, one of the four banks has done extraordinarily well, which is Combank Com because yeah. it's got great management, it's got a strong business model. Yeah, but even it's sort of kind of sort of canoeing in treacle a bit at the moment with interest rates still low. You know, what, what you've also got is the resource companies. You know, one of the things we saw, and it, it's remarkable, Remarkable. Within two weeks of bold predictions going to air, the world had changed completely mm, yeah. on the 18th of February. China. We said China was going to be a major feature, and we'll come to the five major things. Um, and China really changed from the 18th of February onwards, mm. and we're going to why and, and how and everything else. So let's let's go to the bold predictions and see how we went. So we yeah. said politics are going to play a real role in equity markets. Well, I think that was spot on right. They did. <laughs> okay. Why did they play a big role in equity markets? Because politics kept central bankers, you know, sort of drinking the juice, mm. um, both in Australia and in the United States. So in the US, most obviously, the deficit goes up and up and up and up as, as obviously the government tries to kind of repair COVID. But obviously, um, you know, that continues to, to be funded still, despite the tapering, you know, it's only a tapering by the Federal Reserve Board, they're still net buying bonds. Okay, so they're not buying as much. Mm. So that, you know, I think they've been under the, you know, political thumb. Mm. And, and so that's played a great role because it's kept interest rates down. And what's been extraordinary is that as interest rates have been have kept low, the 10-year bond basically in the whole year is 1.1 when we spoke. It's been to a high of about 1.75. It's currently about 1.5. Okay, but the inflation rate's gone from nada to 6.2%. Yeah. Okay, and the core rate, if you exclude You're not even oil. making a return on the ASX with the inflation rate like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, so, Australia's inflation rate. Yeah, yeah, I know. The, I know. The, the core rate's 4.6. Let's use the proper rate, okay? Now, this is this is really relevant, okay? So the real 10-year bond yield in the US is minus 4.7%, okay? That is the lowest since probably both your sets of parents were still at school in short pants and had never met each other. Well, 1974. Yeah, Because yeah. in 1974, I was at grammar school, okay? Yeah. And, of course, that was when we had the oil crisis when oil was much more important to the world economy uh, yeah, and it was cost-push inflation because basically what was then the Arab cartel uh, pushed the price of oil up dramatically and that had a massive impact on derailing growth and obviously creating inflation and creating a stagflationary environment which you've had wheeled out. So the big question is nothing's changed from February, except the inflation's much higher. Governments have got to extract themselves from the corner that, that they and their central banks have boxed themselves into. And you've had a few hints recently that that's proving difficult. Let's take two examples specifically. In Australia, um, Philip Lowe um, basically had to stop buying the April 2024 bond 
which he already owns 62% of the issue, <laughs> and it's cost Australian taxpayers $2 billion so far with mark-to-market losses and actual realised losses. And that was part of his yield curve control to keep the three-year yield at 0.1. That's stupid. I'm sorry, that is stupid. You're going against global markets. He can print money in theory, but they have much more, okay? And basically the world started betting against him because they knew it was a one-way bet. It was nearly, nowhere near, equivalent to George Soros in 1992 and Sterling, okay? It was so obvious that that rate was crazy. And so the rate went from 0.1 to 0.7. And the other thing is obviously very recently we've had Jay Powell starting to say, oh, inflation thing's maybe not trans. The tree. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, you know, wake up, Sonny. Well done. You know, everybody else been saying that for four months, mate. So we've got a problem, you know, and we're still at a lot. There are a lot of the rates are where they were in January, February. Mm. Okay, but inflation's now much higher, mm. and inflation is a mix of three things. Uh, it's demand pull, quite clearly. You know, so we've, you know, the, the world's woken up from COVID by and large and forget Omicron. You know, we'll, we'll get through that. Okay. Mm. So the world's woken up, number one. Number two, you've had cost push inflation because you've had supply issues. Um, you know, you've had droughts for, you know, in Taiwan, which, you know, push up the price of computer chips, et cetera. So that's cost push. And then thirdly, I think what is starting to happen, which is the most dangerous bit of all, is that inflation expectations are starting to go up. Mm. And once expectations get into the community, then the community starts saying, you know, oh, oi, I need a pay rise, mm. you know, because things are going up. I think things are going to keep going up. I want a pay rise. And so it gets into the labour market and that's an issue, okay? I think, once again, in 2022, we've got to try and get out of this corner somehow or other and it's not going to be easy and it is going to involve equities coming lower at some stage, mm. okay? Mm. So uh, the dislocation thing has not happened in 2021. Let's make it clear. We have not had a 15 to 20% dislocation. Might be in the middle of one as we speak. Let me let me yeah. ask you about that, though, yeah. because let's take the US, for example. A mm. dislocation of 15 to 20% in the index just means that these five or six, well, well it's like eight now. Seven. These, yeah, yeah, it's about the, seven. Yeah, yeah these giant yeah. trillion-dollar companies that yeah. just seem to print money. Yeah. Um, Need to fall off for the index to fall off. Yeah. If you if you normalize the index without them, we probably are seeing them. That is abs- that is that is a, that is a brilliant point because you've uh, you know as you guys have pointed out and uh, as, as I'll touch on, you've had a massive fall off in what you might want to call the second line tech stocks. Yeah. Uh, in in well, not just America actually, but globally. Uh, and one of the global aspects is really crucial, and I think gives you an opportunity. You know, and a great opportunity yeah. as well. But, um, so. So, yeah. On that, like, I don't see Apple falling twenty percent if they if they just have such operating leverage and they yeah. can keep growing. Same no. with Microsoft. Like, maybe maybe it doesn't because they're so big. That's right. Apple. I mean, they're twenty five percent. I mean, you know, you've got what what I now call sort of man mag. You know, we, 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 you know, with Meta obviously being the start of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you need to add to that Nvidia, which yeah, has obviously yeah. been you know uh, the I real was, runner and and a car company whose name I, I, I was trying to I was trying to come up yeah. with an acronym, and it's yeah. like it's A N T M A M A now. So yeah. like it's not it's not a lot of letters to use to create well, something good. One of the things that look the the, the big thing. 
is, I mean, and Apple is probably the best example of this, okay, Apple's earnings have been rated upwards and upwards and upwards and upwards, okay, and even when you've had a little bit of a shudder because of what's going on elsewhere in the world, which to some degree is out of their control, which is chips, you know, the stock's still pretty close to a record high. And the reason why is because they've got the business model that everybody wants and, you know, one of your recent guests from New York sort of outlined it really well, which is basically you have a high-margin business which is by and large recession-proof um, and then what you do with the cash flow is you basically keep buying your own stock back and you have sufficient cash flow to do that and, you know, you need to model out Apple for about another five years before you start to really say, oh, you know, the, the, the sort of the debt, the net debt is starting to get up there and, you know, maybe Maybe they need to stop, you know, and if somebody puts a spanner in the works, it would be too risky. But you've got to go out that far. Mm. Um, and you can't really do that with Google. Um, you can't really do that with, with Microsoft. I think potentially you can with Netflix because there's a lot more competition. I think you can with Tesla. And NVIDIA, you can as well, um, you know, because the rating now for, you know, for albeit an outrageous chip maker, it's brilliant, um, you know, is, is so very, very high. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's 25 plus percent of the S&P 500 are in these really vastly strong companies where you know they will you know they they're getting up there in terms of valuations okay and and eventually people will say oh, it's a bit too much but you know it's hard to see what the spanner is that derails some of them not yeah, all of them yeah. some of them yeah. okay regulation is the obvious one yeah clearly, yeah clearly yeah. so we didn't get a dislocation no. okay um i gave you something which i said this is 100% certainty and it's turned out to be absolutely zero mm. um and again things have changed really quickly within a few weeks of broadcast which was a federal election in australia yeah. Yeah. and and the reason that was relevant for markets is because at the time uh the liberals and scott morrison were very much riding high yeah. and it was really look go early go now get another 3 years and we've got you know basically what i think is a pretty predictable set of economics that that, that they put forward, whether you think they do it well or not so well. Well, of course, then, um, you know, by then we started to have these strollouts, you know, the extremely slow rollout of vaccines. We started to get COVID-2. A uh, few governments were a bit slow. And, of course, the economy then, you know, went 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 down the tank. So it struggled more than we think. Yeah. Fantastic prediction, <laughs> uh, completely from left field. You know, of course, I didn't predict COVID too. Uh, we also said 2021 was going to be the year of takeovers. Was it what? None of the three stocks I postulated to be taken over, which um, we'll come to, but uh, there, there were tons of takeovers. And part of that, of course, was aided by the fact we had COVID too. You had what we said was, was takeover, you know, really takeover positive, very low debt, lots of it available, and some diverse equity valuations. But the takeovers have basically been made by private equity who've got the cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, one of the bigger takeovers for this year's Sydney Airport, not not yet finalised, but, uh, of, of course, by our, you know, not-for-profit super funds, you know, get, getting together and, and buying a long-term asset. And there's been a stream of other takeovers. Um, you know, I've been the lucky recipient of, of a few along 
along the way. Uh, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind saying, including the cheapest takeover in Australia at an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of two and a half. What, what, what was that? That is Prime Media, which is the Channel 7 rebroadcaster in the regions. Mm. Okay. Uh, and that, of course, is being taken over by Channel 7, who yeah, right. sort of put it into a half Nelson with press. Prime. To that was, that's like make uh, sure. the Riverina and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's New yeah, South yeah, Wales, Lager, it's, it's yeah. Victoria, it's WA. Yeah, it's pretty much pretty much everywhere, not completely everywhere. But, you know, of course, it's, you know, as everybody says, oh, what do you buy that for? It's a lousy business model. Uh, might be a lousy business model, but when you're buying it uh, with an enterprise value of less than the price of a Sydney house, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was spewing out, I mean, just amazingly, it was sort of, you know, spewing out 20-odd million dollars of EBITDA. It's just fantastic. Yeah, right. So it had 40-odd million dollars of cash. So that was great. That was really good. But there, there are a lot more like that. And, you know, obviously, the, you know, the other big one was, was Afterpay. Mm. Uh, and you got in on that, didn't you? No. <laughs> no, I didn't get in. I wasn't sure, which was good. But it's a very logical takeover. You know, I mean, yeah. the, 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 the piecing together of the two businesses is very logical. Mm. And, of course, I, I think that unwittingly, nobody's spoken about this really, but unwittingly I think the market started to realise that as Afterpay's joined together with Square and Combank's gone into, you know, sort of pay in four, let's mm. call it, mm. Yeah, what it's meant is the competitive environment in that space now is just furnace-like. It's what, yeah. And, yeah, and the other guys are going to struggle. Mm. Well, to speak to personal experience, I've never used Buy Now, Pay Later, but mm. I use PayPal for a lot of my internet transactions. Yeah. And I uh, I almost used their pay and for because it was just yeah. so simple. Then there was one step that made it more difficult, and yeah. so I didn't do it. But I was like... Uh, that's going to be a real challenge because people like me, I'll never take the step to sign up to like an afterpay or a yeah. But it's there in my workflow. Already. Yeah. If if you're if you're not in, I mean, afterpay's going obviously, but if you're not in, say, Zip, and I mean that's struggled as well, share price wise. I mean, you really have to. If you're in some of these other third line players, I mean, please, you need to look at the business model. And because I've been so vociferous. Uh, about one in particular, which is Sezzle, um, <laughs> because Sezzle's got a very peculiar funding structure. What I find is that young people that invest in these BNPLs do not understand the funding structures. Okay, now Afterpay is very easy because it's basically two or three warehouses, um, National Bank, Goldman Sachs, plus its own equity. And it had unlimited access, I believe, to capital, particularly early in the year. Uh, but some of these other guys don't. And if you don't have access to capital, you don't have a, you've got no business whatsoever yeah. in this yeah. space. So if you're holding some of these things, even though you may be losing money, please go through the business model. Please work out why your particular BNPL favourite's going to be a winner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not, get rid of it. Seriously, because it'll go to zero. Yeah. It will. Yeah. They will go to zero. Some of these things. Yeah. So anyway, this whole taking a step out of buy now pay later. Hmm. This whole experience for me has been a real reminder of like that it, it pays to pay for quality a Correct. lot of the time and like getting the number Correct. one yeah. in the space often is the right decision even yeah. if it's more expensive. That's right. Because like, so, like I fall into this trap, so many retail investors fall into the trap of like the second one's trading on a cheaper multiple no. and like all it needs to do is take a bit of market share yeah. and then, yeah, but like. You're not, you're not the only one that falls into that trap. Yeah, 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 but this yeah. is a real reminder. Yeah. That, it's yeah. it's also a real reminder, okay, the, the things that have killed BNPL have an application elsewhere, okay. The thing I focused on as a negative for the sector was the cost of con customer acquisition was skyrocketing. And I mean skyrocketing. So again, you know, if you're the fifth line player in this, 
you know, and after pay spending 20 odd bucks to get one customer, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. So, let's just wrap those yeah. five and then perhaps move on to valuation. Yeah. Still matters. So, we had just to close it out. Politics to play a big part in the uh, in the equity market. I markets, think that's correct. I think that's a tick. Yeah, dislocation no, of fifteen to twenty percent hasn't happened. Didn't see Volatility that. stayed high, but it's implied vol rather than realised vol. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, potentially a twenty twenty two though federal election in Australia. Well, I can guarantee one hundred percent that's going to happen in twenty twenty two. Australian economy to struggle more than we think. Correct. Yeah, but for different reasons. Yes, correct. And yeah. uh, two thousand and twenty one to be the year of the takeovers. Yeah, correct and, and as that, well. That happened as well. That that happened. We also had other things okay the other things we had we had china okay that china was going to be really important i want to come back to that because i think there is a real opportunity there now mm. we discussed it in in the context of taiwan so it wasn't you know that that, that wasn't quite uh where we're at we talked about covid incompetence Okay. Um, I think to some degree that happened. So it sort of did have an impact on on our economy. We also talked about the fact there'd be a bank takeover. Well, there sort of was because Bank of Queensland bought ME Bank. (laughs) that's, that's, That's cheating. I do want to make one other great point about what's gone on here because, uh, our three takeover stocks we had were Simich. Uh, that's down 28% from the broadcast date to rough to today. Uh, Treasury Wine Estates, that's up about 17 And uh, Deterra Royalties is about, uh, it's down about 6%, but you've had a dividend, so we'll call it flat between friends. Okay, so <laughs> no, none of those have come off, which I think illustrates a few things. You know, first of all, don't just bet on a takeover. There's got to be something behind it. But secondly, there's another lesson in there because I did make one other comment when we were talking about takeovers. And I did say to you, quote, you won't find a small cap fund in Australia that doesn't own mainstream. Mainstream at the time was 98 cents. And there was this enormous takeover battle between Apex and SS&C. And the eventual takeout, and there was no takeover on the table, by the way, when we made that comment. And the eventual takeout price was $2.80. Wow. So it was not quite a trebling. Yeah. Okay. So that teaches you another lesson, which is you can have all kinds of crap in your portfolio. But if you have a diverse portfolio and you have one or two things, make it. Bingo. Thank yeah, you very yeah, much. Yeah. You will still have a winner. So <laughs> uh, all of you, all of you who bought mainstream uh, after the 4th of February 2021, well, uh, I'll give you my PO box number and send a check. Andrew, it's okay because everyone knows that there's no buy, hold or sell recommendations Correct. on this. So exactly. this is all do exactly. your own research. This is all do your own research. So if you did your own research, you, you did very well at that. So before we jump into valuations, yep. um, let's take a quick break and we'll hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Moving on to valuation and why it still matters, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you know, you've certainly been a, a value investor since the day we've met you. It's, yep. You've taught us a lot in that space. So why does valuation still matter for you? At the moment, it matters a great deal now because interest rates are really not going to go in much lower. Okay, they might trail around at this level for a while. Okay, but they're not realistically going to go any lower. And so, the thing that maintains high multiples for good companies is realistically not going to get any better. Okay, and what you start to see is where there's been even a minor hiccup. For some of these very, very good companies, you've had a, a, a quite significant dislocation in share price. And as we've touched on already in this, you know, we've touched on the second line tech stocks in the US. Let's just look at one, okay, because I think it's really instructive as to why valuation matters so much and why getting the business model right matters. And, and that one is Peloton, okay. A fund manager in Australia called TDM had. I, I thought was very, very brave, and, and, and I am in no way critical of them at all, okay, because they've got a super track record. They were brave enough to publish, and you can find it very easily on the, on the internet, yeah. their thesis around Peloton, mm. okay, when the stock was about 90-odd, I think, okay. I'll stand to be corrected on that. It had come down from 167. We'll, we'll chuck, because we, we've shared yeah. that link a few times, we'll chuck that in yeah. the show notes. So if people want to follow along, they, yeah. can, they can pull that out. And yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's really instructive because they shared with you why they thought Peloton could get from its prevailing customer base of about 2.3 million up to a customer base of 25 million over a 10-year period, okay? And, and they went through the sort of arithmetic and the reasoning behind that. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, you're really brave guys, okay? And, you know, I love your reasoning, I love your work, and I couldn't disagree more with it if I tried. <laughs> okay? The simple reason is, and I think Australia's brilliant, Australia's a great example of why. You know, Peloton's come to Australia in a big way, you know, walk through Martin Place. No Tesla show in there, it's a Peloton show yeah. in there. Mm. I think Peloton's got no hope in Australia. I don't know why they're here. Why is that? Simple. We have sunshine. We have sunshine. I mean, we're the US a, has sunshine a, as well. <laughs> not in Boston, it doesn't, pal. <laughs> You're going to have sunshine in Boston in February? No. I can understand why Peloton does really well in, for example, the northeast of the US. I have no issue with that at all. Okay? You know, if I lived in Chicago in, you know, in a nice big unit, I'll have a Peloton. In Sydney, Melbourne, by and large across Australia, we're an outdoor country. A lot of us have proper bikes. I don't. A lot of us, you know, do a lot of other things. We're an outdoor exercise country. Country. This is for indoor exercise countries, plus it's expensive, plus I love it because the alternative costs nothing. It's called walking, which I do lots of, you know. In defense of them, like yeah. you could oh. say everything the same about spin classes and oh, gym yeah, classes absolutely. and gyms full I, stop. I am not question, <laughs> I'm not questioning TDM or their reasoning. I'm just saying I disagree with okay. the, the, the conclusion they reached from that reasoning. But the problem was if you disagree with the conclusion and it looks as though Peloton is going to be stuck in low single-digit customer numbers, not moving towards 25 million over 10 years or 12 million over five years, at 
165 bucks a share. The valuation was completely cuckoo. And I'm going to contrast it with another major tech company later on in, the, in, in this podcast, Spotify. So what you had is Peloton started to fall apart. And because there was no valuation metric to justify where they were, then as soon as there's a bit of a problem, they're not growing as quickly as they thought. And, you know, just go to the Peloton qualities and you can see that very, very clearly, and mm. particularly how poor the latest one was. Then, yeah, the shares, that's, that's why the shares halved in a week. Mm. Yeah, and what, they're down 75%. Yeah, and they're yeah. down, I mean, they're basically 40 now. Okay, yeah. down from one six five, yeah. you know, but they were ninety a matter of a few weeks before this broadcast. Yeah. So, yeah, they're the kind of things that happen. People say, "Oh no, they don't." Well, they do. When people like me started to question Sezzle's funding model, the stock doesn't come off a little bit. You know, I was short the stock at ten fifty. I wrote a negative piece out on, on the company, which came out at nine dollars. Yeah, and the stock's now got a three in front of it. Wow. Yeah, they don't fall 10%. Mm. They fall 50 yeah. or more. And that's and a lot of them have already done that. But with interest rates probably going to stay, uh, yeah, they may stay low, but they're on the increase. You've got to get your valuations right, yeah. okay? You've got to really try and get that right because the business model per se, unless it's amazing, may not save you. Yeah. May not save you. Some will. I acknowledge one of Peter Lynch's other rules is basically, you know, don't worry about a quality company getting a little bit expensive because if you just sit and hold for a year, the earnings will catch up, mm. okay, and then you'll get rocking and rolling again. And there's, there's of course, been plenty of lessons about, about that over uh, the last little while. I think, you know, valuations for me, the old world, one of the features of 2021 is the old world has caught up a bit. Now, there's been some stellar performances from stocks that, you know, by and large the millennial and Generation Z audience would have thought are the most unholy pieces of excrement. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want to give us an example? Of yeah, that? I'll give you an example. If you, you know, if you were ferreting around in the rubbish tip in sort of March, April 2020 yeah. and you sort of figured, oh, God, what's in the rubbish tip? There's two old world media stocks. You could have bought New Zealand media at 25 cents. They're $1.35. And because they're actually not just an old world media stock, and, of course, the, the best of the lot, you know, because, you know, Gen Z and Millennial don't know what this is, you know. When they're, when they're all sort of on podcasts and everything else, you know, believe, believe it or not, they're sort of at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's kind of Nat and Cocksy broadcasting from Martin Place. <laughs> you could have bought 7 West Media at $0.06 cents in April 2020 because everybody thought it was going broke, mm. okay? And thanks to some superb management, cost-cutting, and obviously people being glued at home and they're glued to the news and mm. the media and everything else. Uh, the stock recently touched 66. So it's up, you know, tenfold, yeah. you know, from the bottom. And yeah. their debt is now sufficiently low that they're paying cash to buy the prime media assets. Yeah. Of course, prime media was nine cents and they're being taken out at what's effectively 36. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because of the way it's done, there's a bit more money in it than that, actually. So that's a fallbacker from the low. And, I mean, prime media is the you know, worst business model in Australia. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, no worse question. than Peloton? <laughs> yeah, that's a worse business model than Peloton, but the valuation's good. So as a retail investor, how do you approach valuation? Mm. Yeah. Okay, valuation, look, it's, you know, there's not just one way. Okay, we all know the theoretical value of a company is the discounted future value of cash flow back mm. to the equity investor. Okay, but there are lots of shortcuts to that, and particularly when companies own loose assets like properties. Uh, and things of that nature, you've got to value those separately. So to me, what it means is that whether you're doing DCFs, you know, which are not hard to do on a, um, you know, on, on a spreadsheet, or whether you're doing much more sophisticated valuations like me, what it means is you just need to be a little bit more conservative. You've got to build in just a little bit more, you know, higher interest rate not quite as aggressive a growth rate perhaps, you know, going forward because what you're going to find is that that's what the key people in the market are going to be starting to do. They're going to be starting to pull growth rates back. They're going to be starting to demand a higher return, mm. okay, and so must you. And so you can't just get away with, ah, it's a great business model yeah. any longer. You couldn't last year and it crept up on everybody. Yeah. No question. I mean, if you, you know, sorry to stress BNPL, but it's the best example in Australia yeah, of how yeah, it crept yeah. up on people. They're going, why, why is my zip not going back to $9? Mm. I think the uh, <laughs> the alphabets and the Amazons and yeah. the apples of the world uh, really poisoned a generation of investors' minds around, yeah. you know, having a great business model will make everything okay. Yeah, but what you've got to remember on, you know, I mean, Apple, as we've said, Apple reinvests their cash flow and stock buybacks mm. by and large. Sure, they pay dividends. Alphabet's the ultimate sum of the parts company. Mm. It's not easy to do. Nobody's saying it's easy to do. It's the ultimate sum of the parts company. You know, you've got, you know, effectively search and ad. You know, you've got YouTube, which is now broken out. You've got all the other bets. You can start to put numbers on some of the other bets as some of them get partly monetized. Mm. Okay. But it's the ultimate sum of the parts company. Yeah, the, the one of the reasons, I mean, you've got to remember, by the way, yeah, Alphabet has absolutely lapped virtually all the other, yeah, certainly if you go back to the big five as it was, it's lapped the other four this year. Uh, it's up over 70% this mm, year, yeah. okay? That basically is a mixture of the strength of the business model and the earnings coming through, and that has vindicated people's some of the parts valuations in mm. that case. So approaching valuation, I think it's it's important in the sense of basically you need to be a bit more conservative uh, in terms of actually how you do those valuations. You know, just be a little bit more wary about Mr. Lynch's advice here about letting stuff grow into the valuation. Don't throw things away, but... But, you know, don't go adding to your positions in stocks without being a little bit more disciplined mm. would be my viewpoint. Yeah. And when you say be a bit more conservative, do you mean a higher discount rate? Yep. Is that the, the uh, main yeah, there, there are two, I mean, two obvious ways that you do it, a yeah. higher discount rate and a slightly lower growth rate, yeah. you know, for your, um, you know, for your cash flows mm. or, or earnings or however you're, you're doing that. So on the discount rate, you know, there's some people that will, you know, you look at like uh, what they want in terms yeah. of expected return yes. or the cost of capital they yeah. might look at. Uh, some just will have a fixed number. You know, some yeah. people will say 10% is just yeah. a standard discount rate and that works. 
How do you approach setting a discount rate? Uh, depends on the industry, quite clearly. I'm prepared to be a little bit more liberal uh, when I think there's genuine growth in the industry and I think the industry is, a, is at a real turning point. And I'm going to give you an example of that right. uh, as, as, we, as we go on. Mm. You know, whereas in other industries, I mean, I, you know, for Prime, for example, I assumed, you know, when its uh, franchise was renewed in 18 months' time. And so I just did a cash flow at five years and I stopped it there. So that was about the most conservative thing I can think of. You know, so just a five-year cash flow, the cash was declining, and I got it to a stage where uh, I said the company's making a loss on cash, and so it's going to close down. Mm. And I still got much more than the prevailing share price, so mm. I was, you know, happy player. Mm. So, you know, there, there are things like it really depends on the industry. Okay. Yeah. I often, um, I mean, you said, oh, you know, just a, a standard rate, 10%. That's not the stupidest thing in the world. To actually do, that's not really that crazy to do. Mm. You know, it might sound crazy if you're in a very, very growth industry, but it's kind of markets like this when they dislocate. You know, so when markets dislocate, you might be in a hefty growth industry, but the share prices come down so much that you get your 10% desired return. Yeah, you know, in an industry that's growing mm. 10, 15, 20%. Mm. Okay. And I think. The one thing that I will not shy away from is that dislocation in industries, not in markets, but disruption in industries, whew, the pace is not slowing. No, that's mm. the thing. Yeah. The pace is not slowing. So you've got to remember, you know, let's use BNPL again. It's, <laughs> it, look, it's, it's, this is Harvard Business School stuff for a few years, to, you know, a few years' time. Because BNPL's come in as a disruptor. Only a matter of a few years ago, Australia's obviously been its major proving ground, mm. and it's been disrupted already. Why? Because the big guys sat back, sat back, sat back, let the small guys lose a lot of money. One came out of the pack because their management was far better than the others. Mm. You know, It's done a deal where basically you know, it's ending up with a two-way business model you know, with with the merger with Square, okay, and the others are going to be left in the dust and the big banks have now come into play, mm. okay, and mm. PayPal's come into play. Yeah. And so it's meant that all these fintechs, all these small guys that were going to come in and, you know, make, you know, they've made their founders a ton of money because some of them, are, you know, and I bet none of you read the prospectuses of how much money got taken off the table when you put your money in. So some of these guys don't care anymore. Because they've made 20 and 40 million bucks already. So if the company goes bust, doesn't matter. Okay. There's a few, there's a few need things to work. What, what's critical is those guys have been disrupted already and they were going to be the disruptors. Because, yeah. you know, the, because the payment, look, the payment system's not that. I mean, let's be blunt. It's not that sophisticated. Yeah. You, know, you don't need 88 ways you know, for me to give Ren money. Mm. Yeah, you know, I can already do it instantly through OSCO, which is obviously, mm. uh, you know, part of BPAY, mm. except through National Australia Bank. Get your act together, please. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, but Westpac, you know, Ren will have money in 10 seconds from me via OSCO. So why do I need some sophisticated payment system, you know, run by a bloke wearing his baseball hat backwards? Oh, sorry. Uh, um, you know, you, you simply don't. I mean, there's uh, these other things, you know, to do with crypto, to do with foreign currencies, uh, and to do with stocks and linking stocks to instant stuff. So there's things like that. But there's only so many ways you need it. And mm. so the disruption in part of that sector is already over. It's mm. finished. And disruptors have been buried. 
or some of them. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful because things are changing at such a pace that um, you know you, you need you can't just sit there going, hey, you know, I'm on mm. I'm on the disruption train. Well, you're not. You've just been you know your carriage has just been unhooked. You yeah. Know? So. yeah. Now, Andrew, I'm conscious yep. of time, yes. so let's move to looking at 2022. Yep, absolutely. And some of the key things that uh, are playing yep. on your I, mind. I want to, I, I want to uh, get people to have a look at three areas which I think have got uh, potential. Um, two, I'm going to cover very quickly. One, I'll just enunciate a little bit further. Okay. Sure. The first is China. On the 18th of February last year, basically pretty much the Chinese market peaked out. Okay, I think we all know what's been going on in China. Uh, it's basically the two words, common prosperity, which means equality, which means obviously all kinds of reforms instituted by President Xi. Um, we've obviously had slower growth, and that's had an impact on Australia. The iron ore price peaked out at, depending on which measure you use, around about sort of 2.30 in early May. It was about 170 when we spoke uh, in, in, in February, and it's now 100. US per tonne. Okay, so that slower Chinese growth has had an impact and that's why our market's been a bit sloppy because obviously it's pretty hard if you're BHP or Brio uh, and you're not a meme stock like Fortescue, <laughs> um, you know, to, to, to make forward progress. Okay, but what's really happened is, of course, the China internet market really peaked out in, in the middle of February. You're telling me, Andrew, my stock of the year was Tencent. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're down 38% as we speak from the 17th of February. Okay, I mean, Alibaba's down over half. It's yeah. down about 55% from then. The China A50 index, which I'll find probably the most useful, that's down 25% from two weeks after we made the podcast earlier in the year. The Hang Seng index is down roughly the same. It's down 24%. I think there's a great opportunity there. Okay. These companies are not going away. They may have had their wings clipped. Absolutely. They may have to make more donations to the government. Absolutely. But they're now not expensive. What's one of the best ways to play them? Okay. Uh, there's something called the Crane Shares CSI China Internet ETF. And Tencent, JD, and, and Alibaba are three of the four biggest holdings in that. You know, they, they, they're cumulatively about 27% of it. The stock code is uh, KWEB. I'm, I'm assuming over in the US. Over in the US. Okay, so it's, it's a US ETF. It trades on the NYSE ARCA, uh, where most of the ETFs over there trade. Mm. Uh, I own it, obviously, and I bought it relatively recently because – Think about what's happening to these companies when they're down. You know, the smallest decline since February's JD is down 20. Mm. Think about them versus their US counterparts. Plot yourself a gap of the just the NASDAQ 100 will do because the, the you know, the big five or six are 40% of that. Mm. And KWeb, which is an ETF. Yeah. It, it's just, it, 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 it's, yeah. it's just, there's no vice in this. Yeah. It's just widening and widening and widening. And yet, yeah, you know, by and large, they do many of the same things to a different populace. I think that's a real opportunity now. It's contrarian, I acknowledge, but I'm there. One thing, whenever we post about like Chinese companies in our, on our Instagram or yep. our Facebook group, um, the the big question from the Equimates community is all around regulatory risk. Yeah, absolutely. How, how do you think about that, and how do you like factor that into your analysis? Um, it's got to come in terms of price, the price you pay, and when these stocks are down, you know, forty to fifty percent. On what? 
regulatory risk mm. because with the exception of Alibaba, that's basically what it is because JD, for example, is still growing you know, very, very strongly. Alibaba acknowledged the growth rate has come off mm. a little bit. So that's what's caused this dislocation by and large. And don't forget it means you know, your China market's down 25% at a time the US market on the NASDAQ you know, is up you know, 25 plus, mm. okay? So there's a real gap there. Um, so in my opinion, you know, I think there's a real opportunity there uh, that, that hasn't been there for quite some years. Mm. So an easiest way rather than just jump on the Alibaba horse, for example, is, is as usual with these things because it's a thematic rather than explicitly saying this company's so cheap. It's a thematic. So you buy an ETF, obviously, yeah. okay? Yeah. The second ETF, um, you would never have imagined four years ago that I would have come in here and said this. There we go. Uh, but there we go. Um, <laughs> is the Advisor Shares Pure US Cannabis ETF. Okay. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, it's really out of favour. Okay. It's had a little bit of a bounce recently and is, and you know, just with market volatility has got, got, gone back close to its lows. But we're very close now to federal deregulation of cannabis. Mm. Okay. Or, you know, federal legalisation of it. Why is that important? There are six states in the US that, that where there's no legalisation of cannabis. You know, the other 46 there is, but it's really hard if you're a cannabis producer or a synthesizer or whatever, because trying to get banking is really difficult. You know, if you go to JP Morgan and you say, hi, it's Andy Cannabis Limited, uh, <laughs> you know, like the two guys in, in the movie, they get uh, shown to the, uh, shown to the outlet mm -hmm. very quickly. I think the cannabis space is really interesting. And again, don't bet on one company because I think as we may have discussed before, even here, you know, growing cannabis is not, you know, is not a real really strong business, but synthesizing it and distributing it yeah. is. So, um, and, and this thing obviously covers all and sundry. So I think that's really interesting. I have a holding in it. And, it, and again, it's at a low. MSOS is the code. MSOS is nice. the code. And thirdly, I do want to really have a, have a little bit of a look at, at one industry which, which came to fruition this year. Let's get into this. Yeah, because This is really fascinating. In the Australian press, you would not have known this even existed or happened, okay? But the music industry is at a tipping point now. The music industry peaked in 1999 uh, when Napster came in, which you might remember was the, 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 the original movement from vinyl to CDs to streaming. Uh, the trouble is it was obviously illegal, mm. okay? And what people used to do is download from Napster onto a CD and mm. cut their own CDs. And the turnover in the music industry basically has never been that high and it fell, you know, it really fell into disrepair uh, in many ways because of the distribution network. And what's happened because of streaming, not just Spotify but uh, Apple and the, the two arms of Google, yeah. it's really growing again. And, of course, it's growing again because all kinds of people like, for example, Peloton need music. Mm. TikTok needs music. So they've got to license it, okay? So one of the biggest flights in the world this year where they're never mentioned in the Australian finance media. <laughs> Astonishing. This is a 46 billion euro company. It's called Universal Music Group. It has 32% of the intellectual property in music. 
Okay, there are two other main players. There's Sony with 21 and Warner Music, uh, which has got Led Zeppelin, which must make up about 15 of their 16% <laughs> market share. Okay, so UMG was spun out of Vivendi, which is a French company. Vivendi is controlled by Bolloray. Uh, Bolloray is controlled by Odette, and Odette is controlled by itself. Okay, so it's part of Vincent Bolloray's um, what are called Breton pulleys, where he each company controls itself. Okay, if you want to see how that works, go to the East 72 AGM presentation for the 23rd of November. I show you how each company owns 50% of each other on the way down and 50% on the way up until you get to Odette, which is publicly listed. We have a shareholding in, and it trades at a quarter of what we think it is worth. It controls Bolloray, which trades at half what we think it is worth, and it controls Vivendi, which is at least at a 40% discount of what it's worth. Vivendi spun out. It has 2 billion euros of cash. It spun out Universal Music Group to Tencent, Bill Ackman, and the general market. It's listed in Amsterdam, and it kept 10% itself. Universal Music Group controls, as I say, the IP. So... Um, if Ren forms a band, so we've got Ren and the Renettes, okay? <laughs> so Ren and the Renettes go out there and they're quite good and Universal Music comes along and they say, Ren, we will give you a million dollars for your first three albums. Undervalued, but... <laughs> Undervalued, but, okay. Until Ren and the Renettes earn back the million dollars for Universal Music, okay, they have no share in what goes on after that. They get a million bucks up front, but they got no share in anything after. The intellectual property is owned by UMG. That means they license it to whoever, okay? So it's not just licensed on radio and things like that. It's licensed, as we've said, in all kinds of other income streams. And what's happening is the music business is really starting to grow rapidly now, okay, because of that factor. And UMG control the IP. How? Why? Data. These guys are so big, they can see, hey, Ren and the Renettes, they're really, really going well in Kazakhstan. Mm, that is our home market. That's your home market. <laughs> so what you know what happens? They put all the advertising and everything into Kazakhstan. You'll be doing endless tours of Kazakhstan, mm. etc. The bands make their money from tours and merch. Yeah. Okay, twenty percent of UMG is music publishing, which used to be the cash cow of a lot of these things. So you know, if you, you remember, you've seen legal battles about who owns the the publishing rights to Beatles songs and and things like. Like that. So what's happening is UMG are buying more and more stuff. They bought Bob Dylan's back catalogue. So, you know, Bob Dylan has basically no further interest in his music catalogue. Mm. Okay, they own the catalogue. And the catalogue, because as, as you Generation Z people know, all the music you listen to is made in my generation. So it's all about catalogue. Not Queen. true. Bryce listens to a lot of Doja Cat. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Of course they've got new artists like, you know, Taylor Swift and, and Ariana Grande and, and people like that. So UMG's floated. Mm. It was floated at 18. It's about 25. That's euros. You know, the discounted way to get into it, because it's not the cheapest company in the world, it's about a P of 40, but it's a very reliable income stream, is through one of the Bolloray companies, mm. either Vivendi, mm. Bolloray or Odette. They're all quoted in on Euronext in, in France, okay? So I've got that. Spotify. Spotify's the other side of it. That's why this stuff's growing. That's why Universal Music Group is growing because they market uh, the distribution of music is, you know, whilst people still buy vinyl and the aficionados still do, the distribution of music is through streaming and 
The reason people are so cynical about Spotify is, of course, it's one of the very, very few companies like, you know, a Twitter, for example, that has a massive user base that doesn't belong to Apple, Google or Microsoft. Okay, so Spotify, to give you an idea, Spotify has 172 million premium subscribers who pay on average about four dollars sorry four euros 40 a month to listen yeah. okay and they're miles ahead of apple or, or the google stocks okay miles ahead okay because they have a genius as well called daniel Eck, who yeah. runs the company they're profitable now and the great thing that's growing spotify is podcasting yeah. And that's only really come along in the past two years, mm -hmm. really, in terms of the growth of podcasting, okay? And we know how cluttered podcasting is. I walk to work four days, uh, two days a week, okay? I listen to investment podcasts, but I also listen to podcasts on English football. Mm. And... Wow, if you think there's a lot of investment podcasts, yeah, my God, yeah, you don't know imagine. how many there are <laughs> English football. I've heard everything about Manchester United is possible to hear you know, in the last three weeks. So that is an enormous growth business. These guys, are they're now making money. They have no net debt. In fact, they've got $3 billion of net securities and cash. Uh, it's a $42 billion enterprise value roughly. But I think when you line that up against other things, it's actually not that expensive. For an industry that is still somewhere in the vicinity of only two-thirds of its peak in 1999. Mm. And if you think you're going to live in a world without instant access to informed commentary on whatever it is mm. or just I don't want any informed commentary this morning I've got a hangover you know I just want music mm. and it's going to I mean eventually of course you know it will completely it one there, there are two industries from the past that have survived every attempt to kill them okay one is cinema and I think that will still go on and will still never die and the other is radio. And I think radio is on its last legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Radio is on its last legs now. Yeah. We're big fans of Spotify. I don't yeah. know. I think I you do, do yeah. Bryce. Uh, but it's had a tough year. Down, it's had a tough year. 40, and that's, that's why it's down, interesting. Down 40% from February, down 25% in the last month. Yeah. So... What's the what are you saying the market's not saying? Or how does the market why is the market saying this company different? The, the market look, the stock got overowned when it was 365 roughly, okay, uh, back earlier this year. So the stock got sort of overowned and everybody was just too eulogistic about it. Mm -hmm. Compare what I've said about Peloton, okay? So we had I mean at one stage Peloton had a bigger market cap than Spotify. And if you're telling me the total addressable wow. market of $5,000 bicycles plus, you know, $50 a month, you know, whatever's, is bigger than Spotify, well, you know, we, we can have a seriously robust debate because mm. it's not. I think what's going on now is quite clearly some of the growth stocks are being hit. Uh, it's being just put in with a basket of that. There's ongoing cynicism about Spotify that there's a battle, if you will, you know, that it's... Uh, zero-sum game between, let's say, Spotify and Universal Music Group. I, I disagree profoundly with that thesis. Yeah, because isn't the model that it's like a percentage of Spotify's revenue gets distributed to the to the publishers? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so, like, their incentive structure is to drive Spotify. UMG, you, half yeah. of UMG's revenue 
is from Spotify. Comes from, comes from streaming. Mm. Yeah. And the biggest stream is Spotify. Yeah. They need Spotify because that's what's changed UNG's landscape. Mm. Okay. That's what's changed music's landscape. Yeah. That's what put music on a growth path. So again. incentives are pretty aligned. Though. Incentives are extremely aligned, yeah. in in my opinion. Other people will, you know, produce a thesis where they're not. There are so many good podcasts about both of these companies which are analysed in detail. Patrick O'Shaughnessy has done two of them. Yeah, mm. Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdown on UMG. Yeah. Is, please listen to that yeah. and you understand what the, what a business model really is then. Um, and he's also interviewed Daniel Eck as well. Yeah, yeah. he's interviewed yeah. him twice yeah. and Daniel Eck yeah. hasn't come on our show, which is a real uh, <laughs> yeah. real yeah. thorn in our side. He, yeah. should, he should be, <laughs> yeah, alongside the obvious, you know, um, Tim Cooks and people like that. Yeah. He, he you know, I think, is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, finally, look, I've got a couple of fallen angels in Australia. One is trading on 14 times earnings. Its, um, it's currency is in US dollars. It's benefiting from what's happening at the moment, which people have forgotten, which is Ansel. Oh, yeah. It's one of Australia's best-run companies, 15% return on invested capital. Uh, and so when you compare that to the rest of the Australian market, I think that's really cheap. So it's full and angel. Oh, no, it's only trading on 14 times Yeah, earnings. only 14 times. Remember, the earnings are given to you in US dollars, mate. So it's 71. <laughs> that's pretty cheap. Uh, the other one, which I think... Um, you know, I've discussed in the past is Lend-Lease. Uh, I do believe that that as as we get over the virus and, and perhaps this Omicron thing's giving you another opportunity to have another play in a few things, yeah, then basically people will gravitate back to their community and I think people will gravitate back to where culture is and they will not live by the seaside. Uh, I acknowledge there are reasons to live by the seaside and, yes, you can work from there, but people crave relationships with each other. And I think that means that cities which have stopped growing will now start growing again. And Lend-Lease is the prime builder around the world. It's one of the great builders around the world in urban renewal. So obviously you can see what they've done in Sydney and Melbourne, Sydney's Barangaroo, which was by and large built by Lend-Lease. Uh, but, you know, they've got huge projects in London, San Francisco, uh, Milan, uh, and other places as well. The shares are less than half of what they were 21 years ago. Wow. Wow. Okay. Jeez, that's a tough 21 years. That's a, yeah. that's a tough 21 years. There are some reasons behind that and everything else. Uh, they've got a new MD and, you know, I, th I think they're particularly interesting. They're a very difficult valuation play. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've looked at them for years and years and years, so I've got a bit of an advantage. But they're the kind of two things I'm looking at in valuation space, fallen angels but not non-growth companies in Australia. Love it, Andrew. There you go. We got there. Final word. Yeah. You may have gathered, if I'm looking at, Spotify, if I'm looking at Bollerae, which is a conglomerate, if I'm looking at Chinese internet stocks, if I'm looking at cannabis, Australian property developers uh, and basically, uh, you know, protective glove manufacturer, is that telling you something that in 2022 you are not going to be riding a single theme as you maybe have been able to in 2021 with the big five, six, seven, or eight, mm. okay? You are going to have to be eclectic and esoteric in your investing. You're going to have to look in corners you may not wish to look at, okay? But, you know, pull the spider web away and have a look what's behind it. That's what's going to be important because I think it's going to be that kind of market. It's not going to be easy. 
Mm. Okay. Finally, I have a, an apology to make to someone who will not listen to this podcast. His name is, is Bindi Chatter. He's the global market strategist from Deutsche Bank in New York. Uh, and on February the 4th, it was broadcast that I thought, whatever Bindi Chatter is smoking, I want some of it. <laughs> because his earnings estimate for the S&P 500 when the consensus was 165 for 2021 was 194. And guess what, Bindi? You are wrong because it's two hundred and four. Because <laughs> wow. it, and that wow. that is why the U.S. market is up twenty percent. Yeah. Because the one thing I got badly, badly, badly wrong mm. last year was mm. I said U.S. earnings are, uh, overblown back in February, and mm. no way, no. They were one hundred and sixty-five estimate. Then they're going to come in over two hundred. Wow. Okay, and that's what's driven your twenty percent gain in the U.S. market, not a re-rating from uh, PEs and things like that. So, to Mister Chatter, my profound apologies. So. <laughs> And on that note. Well, yeah. love it, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time, as always. Um, a plenty of insight for us to digest. Absolutely. We're about to hit a bit of a recording break for Alec and I. We are doing our summer series, though. We've got 12 episodes coming up, diving into some of the companies we spoke about. We have Peloton. We managed to get the country manager into the studio to speak with Karen. So stay tuned with that. Uh, plus a bunch of other amazing companies from both here in Australia and uh, over in the US. And Andrew, we'll have to get you back to stick with tradition and uh, <laughs> do bold predictions for 2022 when we're uh, refreshed and uh, ready Absolutely. to tackle the year next year. But as always, thanks for the support. and um, Thanks, and guys. It's an absolute it. pleasure to be here and uh, happy new year to everybody. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.